Well, happy post-Labor Day, everybody. It's great to see you all again. I'm Christian Napier. Welcome to the Teamwork, A Better Way podcast. And I am uh, I'm just honored to be joined, as always, by uh, an amazing friend, a dear colleague, uh, and a, an incredibly intelligent person, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how you doing? Good. A little, uh, blushing a little bit. Thank you. And I feel the same. It's so it's always so good to be with you. I look forward to our our time together, even though it takes a lot of lot of prep. It's good to be with you. Labor. I was laboring on our Labor Day. How about you? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, also laboring, moving around furniture and all you know kinds of stuff. So it was it was Labor Day, but that's that's good. We and we enjoyed some good food with uh, family and friends. How about you? You know, we had that on Sunday. We had family over, and I made, I grilled some great chicken sandwiches. And then we, I say great because my family always asks for them. So, I'm, I, I'm going to suggest that that uh, for their sake it is, but uh, you may disagree. But then yesterday I went for a mountain bike ride. I mm. did a, uh, I had some work. I did about a two-hour coaching session, and then spent the rest of the afternoon cleaning out the garage. All right. Well, uh, it sounds like you had a productive and enjoyable all around uh, weekend. So I'm glad to hear it. And and there's nothing better than having great food with the, the people that you love. And exactly. I have to try the chicken sandwiches. Now you got my my interest is peaked. I, I have to try these chicken sandwiches. Oh, I mean, they, they, they live have, up to the hype. They're so good. I make this like chimchurri sauce that has, mm. um, you know, it's it's got vinegar and oil and uh, uh, shallots and uh, thyme and parsley and garlic. And and so that is marinated overnight. And then you, a a huge vat, I mean, like a pound and a half of mushrooms. And I saute those in the oil and the sauces. And then we have arugula and then we put the sauce and the arugula and the, uh, and the, and the tomatoes, I mean, not the tomatoes, the, the mushrooms. And then we also put balsamic vinegar on that. And then I grill the chicken and we slice it in slices and put it on a toasted ciabatta bun. I toast the ciabatta on the grill, salt and pepper that all. Oh, man. My mouth is watering. <laughs> we could talk the entire time just about food because we both love food so much. And I definitely am going to have to try that. Uh, but we've got a really interesting topic today, Spencer. Yep. Uh, that came from an article that you sent me a few days ago on burnout. And I think many of us, if not all of us who are watching or listening, uh, joining us now have had this experience at one time in their lives or more, uh, where you just feel completely exhausted and you're just burned out. And, you know, before we get into the meat of the article, Spencer, I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about what this burnout actually is and what causes it. Well, I, I, I think the, uh, the burnout is when we're physically, emotionally and mentally exhausted, frustrated, angry, upset, and it, it's just really causing us to... What I like to say that when we're in that state of just anger, frustration, exhaustion, just don't want to go to work, don't want to get up, don't want to do anything, uh, or we're in that frustration mode that we are driving, working, operating, communicating under the influence of stress. 
And and when we're in that those moments where we're not making great decisions, we are, um, you know, so, and I think that's one of the reasons why we have such a high turnover rate right now. You know, you hear about all this quiet quitting, you know, 50% of people are participating in that. I, I, I've seen numbers. And so that's, to me, those are some of the, the symptoms or reactions to this just exhaustion. We're just like, it's got to be the system. You know, we, we're, we're frustrated with our jobs, with the way things are, and we just want to opt out and we're looking for ways to, to do that. Um, and I think there are many causes of that. I, but that's my assessment. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, uh, we're definitely feeling it. Uh, you know, in in the past, you know, part of me would be just like, okay, you know, I'm I'm feeling stressed out, but just suck it up and grow a pair, right? Like, uh, you can get through this. But it seems to me like, um, you know, things are changing on that front, and 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 you know, we're start to we're starting to accept a little bit more. But before we get into that, let's come back to those causes. You know, uh, uh. You know, from the beginning of time, everybody's pretty much had to work if you want to eat food, you know, <laughs> so uh, that's a stress in and of itself. Uh, but we're seeing people in these uncertain times really struggling with the weight of it all, not just, you know, the weight of their job, but the weight of the world, you know, I'm curious, you know, as you as you've gone around, you're talking with so many people in so many different organizations, executives, CEOs, team leaders. What are they telling you about burnout and why they are experiencing it in their organizations? Yeah, thank you. I, I think for some, I mean, I've got a list of things that I have heard and I'm noticing in my communication with, with clients, some of it is that people just don't love what they're doing. They don't feel a connection to the team, to the organization, to the purpose that they have. And, and that causes them in many cases to you know, just question, I, I'm going to say, you know, have an existential crisis. You know, why am I here? What am I doing? What's this all for? Why am I working so hard for, for what? And, you know, we've talked many times over the last two years about what the pandemic, one of the benefits of the pandemic is to help people realize there's more to life than work. Yet, so many of us are in a situation where we're shorthanded, we're needed, we, our, our, our energy, our expertise, our knowledge is in, is in high demand. That's, that's a good thing. But it's also a bad thing, especially if you don't love what you're doing. So, so that's one one thing. Another thing is if you are not necessarily using your strengths. You may be needed, and you may be in a good situation, yet you're feeling like you're not using your highest talents or strengths or the things that you like to do best. I I, I know that there are things that you do, Christian. I imagine you love what you do, but there are some things that you don't love doing about what you do. Would that be true? Oh, absolutely. You know, and usually what happens is they just kind of sit in my inbox or my to-do list until I can't wait any longer. And then the pressure is really on and I'm 
just burning the midnight oil, so to speak, to try to get everything done, you know, to try to meet my deadline or something. And uh, yeah. I, so, so you procrastinate those things you don't like to do, but just imagine if your job were those things that you don't like to do all the time, just the energy drain that that, that would cause. And that happens, I think, to, to some people when they're not in a position that is using their, their greatest strength. And the other thing is, is I think people may love what they do so much, they're so dedicated and so committed, yet they struggle with setting boundaries. They think, you know, so much of the identity that they have is, is tied to, to work, or they feel like if, you know, that they feel some type of threat, if they don't give their all, that, you know, they may be replaced. And so there's some, there's some negative self-talk or self-worth or uh, feeling like you have to take everything that, that comes your way because there's a perceived pressure to, to produce and perform. And so I think that even if you love it and you have a, a, a set of uh, faulty boundaries where you can't set those uh, boundaries effectively, and there's, there's some reasons why that happens, and it's different for, for many different people, that can be another cause for burnout. And that can even happen in your, your personal life where you don't want to let people that you love down. You want to be there for them. And, you know, one of the things I, I say, you know, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And, and unfortunately, for some people, that no is usually themselves. It's yes to everybody else but, but themselves. Uh, I totally agree. Uh, okay, check this box, check this box, check this box, check. Okay, all of the above. I'm officially feeling burned out. I'm stressed out. <laughs> but we're not done yet. There's some other reasons. Oh my so, gosh, there's so, more. So here's here's some of the other reasons. You know, when I talk with CEOs or executives, they have more control over their lives, and that can actually lead to their own burnout because they're holding on to too much. They're not delegating enough, and there's many reasons why they don't delegate. Some of it has to do with their their personality. Some of it has to do with they just don't want to have their people burned out. So they take a lot on and they're not actually letting their people grow. And, and as a result, their people aren't as excited and, and burned out, even though they're not, because they're not working on challenging or valuable things, right? So much of that is being held on to by senior executives. Um, sometimes the, the CEO or the C-suite is doing that because they feel nobody else can do it or no one else should do it. And, and that's causing a burnout because they're doing things that their teams could be doing, and they're not letting that go. So that's another reason why why they're burned out and causing lower satisfaction in their in their teams. And another reason we're burned out is we rely too much on stimulants and even sugar. I mean, think of all the energy drinks that are just so pervasive all around the world. Outside of even you know coffee and tea, you got so I mean the energy drink industry is has exploded over the last several years and they are full of sugar and i've imbibed a, a few of those energy drinks <laughs> so. well this show is not a confessional uh spencer we don't need to know all the details about all the uh, all of the substances that you're consuming to keep going but you're right i mean the yeah we we are becoming, uh, generally speaking, as a society, uh, more reliant on on stimulants just to get us through. Right. And, and, and when that rubs off, we feel even more tired. Exactly. <laughs> right? 
and and then you know but but part of the reason we take those stimulants is exactly what you said in the beginning is that we feel this need to just power through now i know some of you are listening not everything that that we have said may be applicable to you some of the challenges that you have in feeling burned out may be very unique to to you and it could be because of gosh it could go all the way back to just personal issues or the the need to feel like you're you're never doing enough. I mean there's so many different things that can that can cause us to keep working and grinding when we actually need to stop and and heal. And and that's what I think we get to to talk about now is because so often we think of stress and burnout as just not being tough enough. You know, we talk about resilience. You do need to have resilience. The challenge is, is if we don't treat this burnout like a, like a physical ailment or emotional ailment that it is, we will have some serious consequences. And, and I want to just start, and I want you to share some, some of the, the research from, from this article. But one of the things is the, the impact that I see, again, to keep answering your question, what am I hearing, what am I seeing from my clients is a lack of confidence. People feel for many reasons that they are over their heads because they're, one of the reasons they're burned out is they just don't feel like they have all the answers. Well, that's a, that's a challenge that's actually adding to the burnout, and, and it's, it's cyclical. I don't feel like I can do it, so i got to make up for my weaknesses, right? But there's this lack of, of confidence. People are stressed and burned out. We've already identified that. And therefore, they are working, as I had just said a minute ago, under the influence of stress. And what does that do? It causes you to, to think muddled, to have foggy and, and inaccurate thinking, to be more emotional. We see people that are being less logical, more emotional, and making decisions in, in that emotional state usually leads to poor outcomes. I mean, have you ever made a decision under those conditions where, that you regretted? Uh, yeah, <laughs> a few times, right? a few hundred times, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've had, I've had, uh, you know, conversations that didn't turn out the way I had hoped. I sent emails that I regretted. I, you know, I, I made decisions that that weren't as good as they could have been if I was in a more healthy state of mind. This is also the other impact is all the, the quitting that's happening, all the people who are making those decisions to leave. And then think about the impact on the brain. I've been sharing with you just foggy, unclear thinking, but also mood swings, anger. You talked about procrastination, avoidance, right? I mean, that's the, what's happening is, is that we just can't deal with it. So we're like, I'm not going to deal with it. Um, it can lead to sickness, physical illness, you know, suppressed immunity can can come from from this uh, from stress that can lead to that that sickness, and just this lots of negative emotions. I shared, you know, self confidence is one, but there's there's there are many many more, and those are some of the things that I've seen, and I'm sure that there are more. Why don't you share some of the research that uh, that we've heard about what's happening to our brains because of all the stress? Uh, yeah, I think this research is really, really insightful. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, and you talked about it as well. You know, sometimes we just had we just have this attitude that we need to toughen up, right? 
Uh, but what the research shows is that there are actual physical changes that happen in the brain uh, in people that are burned out. So the research, and, and this comes from, for the people who are listening or watching, this comes from an article in Inc. Magazine called, uh, or entitled, How Burnout Physically Changes Your Brain, and in parentheses says it's not pretty, uh, written by Jessica Stillman. And she references research out of Sweden that compared two groups. In one group, you had 40 people. These people had worked at least 60 hours a week for several years, and they were actually medically diagnosed as being burned out. And they were compared to a control group that had the same demographic profile, but they were not suffering from burnout. And so they did some tests on these people, and they did MRI scans of their brain to see what was going on. And there were key differences in the amygdala of the brain. And uh, so, so here's some things I'm just going to read from the article, right? Uh, so the, the amygdala, this is the area of the brain that is responsible or it's critical in uh, uh, controlling emotion and fear. And the participants in this study those that were in the burnout group had enlarged. So there's actually a physical manifestation of this. Right? They have enlarged, um, enlarged amygdala. All right. So as, and, a, as a result of increased stress, it's like you're using. So the amygdala is kind of the the fight, flight, or freeze section of of, of our brains in the in the limbic system, or what we call the, you know, the mammalian brain or the emotional brain. And because it's being so overstimulated, it's growing. So yes, it's actually physically becoming larger, right? So uh, the, what, what the study says is that the more stressed that an individual reported feeling, the weaker the connectivity in the brain in this enlarged uh, area between it and the other parts of the brain. So you had uh, the amygdala, physically enlarging, not really being able to do its job, and then not being able to communicate effectively with the other parts of the brain. So uh, the analogy that the author uses, which I think is quite interesting, is it's like there's this emergency siren going off in your brain, <laughs> and you don't have the ability to switch it on and off, and it's causing all kinds of, uh, it's causing all kinds of issues. And, you know, before our conversation today, we likened this to to uh, in sports, you know, coming from that background, we've seen what's happened in in the area of sport when it comes to concussions, particularly in in American football. Right? It used to be fifty years ago that coaches would just say, "You got to tough it up, you shake it off, get back on the field." But there are actual physical damage that's occurring in the brain, and the brain needs time and uh, rehabilitation to heal. This is what we're seeing with people who are burned out. As you mentioned, they are impaired. They're not impaired because, oh, I just can't focus or whatever. Well, they can't focus for a reason. Their brain is actually physically changed. It's like a, it's like a pulled muscle. It's like you pulled your hamstring. And it doesn't matter. If you've, if you've pulled a hamstring, you've torn a hamstring muscle, it doesn't matter how much you want to will it into working. You just cannot run full speed. You know, a sprinter is just not going to be able to perform the same if they've got 
a, a pulled or a torn hamstring. And we can't expect anything less from people that have, frankly speaking, injured brains. I think that's exactly right. And it's interesting that you, you know, you talk, they, they actually show that enlarging the amygdala. And I remember there was a study done years ago of London taxi drivers. And one of the things that they studied was before they, they looked at the brain before and after they started driving. And as they had started driving for a year or two, the hippocampus, which is re, really what, what we rely on for directional awareness or spatial awareness, grew and enlarged and helped them to be able to, to be effective as a, as, a, as a taxi driver. And then what happens when they stop driving is it actually shrinks, which is good news because if the amygdala is basically taking over and we're, we're reacting more emotionally to everything. That means we're actually making our circumstances worse because we are not thinking clearly. We are under that influence. We're not, we're not helping our case. When we continue to just say, suck it up and just push through, we are, we are creating worse challenges that are adding to and compounding our stress. Would you agree with that? 100 million percent. <laughs> that's right. So, so what do we do? So that's what we get to talk about. So, so this is happening to us, and it's having a negative effect. And it's, and it's a circle. of it, it, It's just a terrible circle that keeps adding to our anxiety. And it, keeps, it feels like we're getting worse and worse. We're becoming more polarized in, in politics and society. And, and we're not working the way we need to work. So let's 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 back up and let's talk about some some practical solutions that our listeners can take. Some things that that I have found that have worked for me, and, and I'd love to hear some things that have worked for you. And if you're listening to us, and I know that we have people on on LinkedIn Live and other places that are listening, I'd love to hear from you. Just put in the chat maybe some of the things that you have found that have worked for you, or questions that you have. We'd love to be able to to discuss those. Well, the first thing I'm going to say, I think I've already said, and that is. Avoid making decisions when you're under the influence. You've heard maybe don't make decisions when you're hungry, when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're angry. That's not a great time to make a decision because in many cases you could just make things worse. And if you think that I just got to change my circumstances, so for example, and listen, if you're changing jobs for a better circumstance, that's fine. If you're in a situation where you, where there, there's you know a, a abuse or you know you're not getting what what you feel like you're you're worth, then of course change. But sometimes what's happening, Christian, is people are leaving, and that may solve the problem for a, a time. It may be a six months or a year, and then the same problems will begin to emerge because we really haven't addressed the root problem of what's causing what's happening or the frustration that you're experiencing. And, and many times I find that professionals, and, and I've experienced this in, in coaching of my clients. I mean, I've had a, a client that was emotionally distraught and t couldn't stop crying. They were so, they felt so abused or misused and... And, and today is thriving and loves what, what she is doing. Well, that, that took a process, and, and, and yet today she's so much more confident and it has, has had promotions and has hundreds of people that she's responsible for. But at one point, you know, there was feelings of, uh, uh, of, of 
gender and, and racial and all kinds of uh, harassment that were just causing so much anxiety. So don't make those decisions, big decisions, when you are feeling that way. That's, that's number one. And so how do we then make that amygdala get smaller so we can make better decisions? I'm going to start with learn how to manage your energy. And I'm just going to reference this. There's a, there's a tremendous Harvard Business Review article that says, manage your energy, not your time. I refer that to you uh, to look at, and there's a tremendous amount of research in there how productivity can increase. Because I think some of the times we think, well, I just got uh, to work harder, right? And what's happening is, is that we're actually being less and less productive, even though we're, we're working longer. You and I were talking about that recently when we talked about presenteeism, right? People are just there, but they're not doing anything. Well, that's not really productive. I remember years ago when I started my own business, I spent a lot of time, I started mountain biking in the mornings. And I, do, I wouldn't get back into the office till 9.30, sometimes 10 o'clock. And I would feel really guilty. I had to I, like I had to get over that. I was so used to be in the office at 7:30 or whenever I it, it, for so many hours. And what I found was when I unplugged from the from the world, all of a sudden, when there wasn't any noise happening, Christian, all these ideas started coming. It was like it's like this 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 noise barrier was removed, and I could think clearly. And the benefit to me was immense. I had ideas for my business, for my clients, I, problems that they were facing that I was thinking, oh my gosh, if, if they knew that, that would help them, that I hadn't thought of before because I was just, I was outside, I was unplugged. So that's part of managing energy and taking care of your, your yourself first. And there's different kinds of energy. There's emotional energy. So being around people that, that give you energy and not drain that energy from you, there is spiritual energy. I find, Christian, that when I work hard all week, Sundays are a day. I don't know what your religion is. If it's Saturday or, or no religion, that's fine. Maybe you meditate. But I find that you know, when, there, when we make time to meditate or to pray or to worship, or to even serve others, it's a form of work, but it's a different kind of work that is a renewing spiritual regeneration. What, what have you found in that regard? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we all hear the term recharge our batteries. Yeah. Uh, and we're so familiar with it, uh, this term these days, right? Because we're all carrying around one of these guys. Right, we're we're carrying around phones, and we want to make sure that they're charged. And when they are are starting starting to get empty, uh, what do we do? We have to plug them back in, you know, and they have to recharge. And the thing is, is when the battery on this phone is gone, it's not usable. It doesn't function until it gets more energy. And you know, it's one of the great cons of our age that we think that we can just power through it when literally we don't have any energy left. So I think that the idea that you're talking about is absolutely spot on. We have to have time uh, to manage our energy, to recharge uh, so that we can perform our functions. If we don't have any juice in the tank, 
there's nothing we can do. And there are many ways to do that. For for me, uh, going uh, for a walk uh, in the morning with my wife is a good way to clear my head. Uh, just breathing fresh air <laughs> is a big win. <laughs> Getting out of my home office and having the sun hit my face is is a big win. Or or you know, going for a walk around a lake or something like this uh, up in the mountains. Uh, super refreshing and, and as you mentioned uh very very clarifying and also uh i think having some discipline to not look at your phone in the middle of the night so you can get a restful sleep is 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 also really important sometimes it's very hard and i'm guilty of this as well on many occasions you know my phone is sitting next to me on the nightstand and I wake up at two o'clock in the morning and I just think to myself, well, I wonder if somebody responded to that. And so I pull out my phone and I start looking at email and the screen is bright and now I'm awake for an hour yes. and I'm just shooting myself in the foot because I'm not, you know, getting the sleep that I need. And Christian, that that is not unique to, to you. There are many organizations that are international in nature. They have teams all over the world. And so you can have people sending emails at all hours of the day. There are some that feel the pressure to show that they're working at all hours of the day, right? To demonstrate that, hey, I'm, I'm on all the time. And so they have to feel like they respond. And my, my counsel is, is that turn off if you're a leader of your organization, make sure you're not sending emails to your team locally after six o'clock and make sure that they are not responding. And that's going to take some discipline. It's going to be hard for some people because they're like, well, we've got business going on all the time. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll amend that to say if you've got teams around the world, you might, you might respond, but that's, that's a problem that's going to catch up to you. Um, you, you just brought up something else that I think is really, really important for our energy, and that is to unplug from our technology. And because of buttons and buzzers and notifications, we have been programmed to be literally addicted to our devices. And if you want a great book on that, there's this book by Adam Alter called Irresistible. And it is a, you know, it is a, uh, addictive book as well. But it says, the rise of addictive technology and the business of keeping us hooked. We are so addicted to our devices that we it is, it is hard for us to be unplugged. And as a result, that's adding to the burnout. We, we think that these are tools that are helping us be more productive, and they are. But we need to be in charge of when and how we use this. And that is going to, that is hard for a lot of people because we have we are so programmed to need and to and to use these. So turn off a lot of those notifications and buzzers. Uh, I put on sleep mode, so I don't I don't get notifications or it reminds me to to shut off my my phone uh, from certain hours. I have a goal to get seven hours of of sleep every day. Now, if I could get more, that'd be great. Sometimes I get less, but for me, I feel pretty good when I when I get seven hours of sleep. And so that's something that is really important for me. Turn off the news. I remember, Christian, you were talking about how this was so frustrating to you, but the, the Armageddon news cycle is, it, 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 they make so much money 
by peddling crises 24 hours a day because we are, again, addicted to what's going on, what is the latest doom and gloom that's happening. And I find myself looking almost every day what's going on in, in Ukraine just because I'm so interested and concerned, yet that can be something that every day my brain is is focusing on, uh, you know, negative, that is that is very unhealthy. And, you know, part of it is the world that we live in, and, we, and I'm not asking you to bury your heads in the sand. I'm, you know, there's times we need to be aware and, and informed of what's going on. Just not all the time. Be very strategic about when you do that. And, and then afterwards, maybe have some ice cream. I know that's sugar, but my wife just saw a study that said, we haven't had COVID yet. And she found a study. This was funny. They said, uh, there is a potential correlation between eating ice cream and COVID <laughs> immunity. <laughs> So we're like, yes, we did something right. Uh, All right. I'll have my daily dose of mint chocolate chip. <laughs> Watch too much uh, too much sugar is bad. Exercise. Get outside, as you said. Uh, eliminate those energy drains that, that you have in your life. Meditate. Uh, and, and as I said, take a, take a Sabbath, whatever that day is for, for you. So that's, uh, that's number two. Number one, avoid making decisions when you're stressed. Number two, manage your energy. Number three, eliminate time wasters. So here's another very interesting study that was done by the Franklin Covey people. Over six years, they studied 351,613 people all over the world, Africa, Asia Pacific, Europe, Latin America, Middle East, North America. I think that's everywhere but Antarctica. And um, what they found is that only 60% of the time are we at work doing important things. It means 40% of the time we're doing unimportant things. And so that, that can add, you know, if we're doing something that doesn't feel important, we, again, ha can lose confidence. We can feel like we're not adding value. We can feel like we're like, there's something better I could be doing, right? Well, if you, if, you if you take how many hours the, the average person works, 2,080 hours a year, that means we are wasting 832 of those. And if you take a, an organization that is 500 people in size, that is an average of $20 million of wasted time and productivity every year from just one organization. What if you could just get 10 or 20% more productive. You know, you and I talked about that presenteeism where people are just, you know, just being on the meetings and, and they're just checked out. They're not adding value. They're not, they're not moving the organization forward. What if you just got 10 to 20% more present? So how do you do that? Well, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to figure out what your best day looks like. Think of a day or identify a time when you felt like you were just performing at an extraordinary level. You were doing a great job. What was happening? What were you doing? What were you, what, what kind of work were you doing? So identify what it feels like to produce or perform at an extraordinary level that, that you, where you'd like to be. And if it's ever happened in the past, you know, I've asked you this question and one of the times in the past that you felt like you were so proud of was when you were with the 2002 uh, 
Olympics and you talked a little bit about what that experience was like, right? What you were doing and how you were performing and how clear the goals were and all of those things. And I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, but isn't that right? Uh, that's absolutely right. You know, it's interesting hearing about this study because on the one hand, we're talking about burnout and the and one of the implications of burnout is that we are overworked and that we are spending too much time on work. And yet, on the other hand, we're hearing that we're actually not productive, that a lot of this time that we're work that we're doing, it's not it's not productive that we're we're wasting time. And on the surface, it looks like these things can contradict each other. It's like, well, you know, what, what, what do you mean? You know, I'm burned out because I'm working too hard and you're telling me that I'm not working hard enough. And, and mentally, if, you, if you're not careful, you can actually frame this in a way that causes you more stress because you feel like if I am not productive every minute of every day, then by definition, I'm unproductive, and this causes me to be even more stressed and more burned out. And so, you know, the you know, for me, it then raises a question, which is, uh, and coming back to your Olympic, uh, the Olympic thing, uh, we worked very hard and very long hours leading up to uh, games time. Uh, but I didn't feel at the time that I was really burned out. And, and I think it was just because we were uh, a bit of an adrenaline rush uh, as we were coming to the to the start of the games. Uh, but I also think it has a lot to do with what you were talking about, which was we knew exactly what we needed to do. Uh, we had planned for several years uh, and it was go time and, and uh, we all understood our roles and Yes, we had to work a long time, but we we understood what we needed to do. I, I didn't really feel that lack of confidence like you were talking about that might happen when you're feeling burned out. I didn't really feel like I was impaired. Didn't you, you also know? feel, though, that there was going to be a point when it would be over and you could have a break? Yes, absolutely. It, so it was so for that is duration. actually one of the techniques or something that is very, very valuable in that there's actually a release valve because you're willing to work really hard if you know that at some point I can I can take a break. And and so one of the things that sorry keep going but I, I'll come back to this point. No, you know, I, I want to get to something else in a minute. I, I know that our time is I can't I, I look down at the clock I'm like holy cow we've been talking for almost forty minutes already and it feels like we're just getting into this topic. Uh, And so I don't want to derail things, but it's on my mind. And I feel like if I don't say this, I will forget it. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, everything we've talked about so far is very individual, right? And and we feel it. We feel burnout as individuals, but this can also be collective. Organizations can get burnout. Uh, we saw this recently with our hometown NBA, so professional basketball team, the Utah Jazz. Right. Uh, they had high expectations coming off of a season where they had the best regular season record in the league. And then last year, last season, they underperformed. And as a result of that, they felt like they had achieved all that they could achieve and they are starting over. Right. The new head coach, the star players are gone. They're building for the future. I'm not suggesting that we need to tear down our organizations when we feel burned out organizationally. We need to start over from scratch. Although sometimes 
you do have to you you have to have a change in personnel because maybe a different voice and a different perspective is warranted. But I am curious, Spencer, to get your take on how to handle this organizationally because you use the 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 word impairment like it was drive it's like driving under the influence when we're stressed out we're impaired and we can't really see things as they are we don't see things clearly and i think this happens not just as individuals but as organizations and what do we do when we're in that situation well of course uh if you have a person that is an alcoholic and they're struggling with addiction they require some professional help and you have to go do that and your organization may need some professional help too you know, if you're, if you're struggling, it, you may need to someone to come in who is experienced dealing with organizations, someone like you, Spencer, to help them kind of get through, you know, figure out the roadmap to get them from where they are now to where they want to be. Aside from that, you know, what do we do as a society, right? We have a mantra. We used to hear it on commercials all the time. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. You know, there's a sense of responsibility in the team that if someone is struggling, that you don't let them continue down the path that they're going or don't let them let's take some things on ourselves right we came up with the concept of designated driver (laughs) uh, right and and so there's there's someone on the team who's not impaired who can get us through it and and i I think there's interesting interesting analogies or you know ways to look at these things organizationally uh, beyond just individual, because you can do everything for yourself individually. You may not feel burned out, but your organization may be suffering. Yeah, it starts at the top. I mean, I, I, I've I've told stories of one of the executives I coached at the past, and she would work. She would work on three hours of sleep a night, and part of that is her own her own pathology that that she needs to get over. And she, you know, is is very good at what she does. But the CEO of that company recognize that that's not healthy and it's like i i can't let that persist and so you know getting getting help for this executive and coaching and and, and mentoring that 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 is necessary and and not only that you need to, we need to be willing to you know if we're shorthanded it's not enough to just say don't don't work i mean I, my son-in-law who's an attorney, I mean, he's, he's, they're asked to, to stop working, you know, don't work after six. Well, he knows that if he doesn't do all the extra work, he's not going to be prepared for the partners the next day. And so he ends up working till nine or, or later sometimes. Uh, I have a, you know, a a very good friend that I work with that, that is a doctor and he's new in his role as a pathologist and he's, you know, looking at and, and diagnosing, you know, under a microscope all, all day long, but he needs to learn how to, how to uh, let go of some of his tendencies that are causing him to spend more time than necessary. So these are cultural shifts that have to happen at the top and at the individual level. And that doesn't just happen overnight. And it happens over a process of time and it has to be addressed continually. It's never something that you're going to ever cure all the time. It must be continually looked after. You've heard of the the Covey quadrants of time management matrix, right? You've got quadrant one, which is important and urgent. Quadrant two, which is urgent but not important. Quadrant three is not important but urgent. And then quadrant four is not important and not urgent. Well, first of all, we need to get rid of the not important, not urgent. That That's just done. And we are spending a lot of time in that 
quadrant four, 17.9%. So yes, there are times when we are being, if, you, if you're truly honest, are you productive every hour of every day that you choose to work? No, we're wasting, we're wasting time. So at, at almost 18%, and we're spending almost 24% in things that are uh, urgent but, but not important. So most of our time is in, in those areas of, of fires, and we are putting out fires. I think of a, one of my past clients was an emergency medicine. That, you know, They worked in hospitals in the emergency rooms, and they managed their company just like they were triaging everything. So they were reactive to everything. And if you are constantly reacting, you have no control. And again, burnout goes up. If you can start to get a little bit of control, that's the quadrant two activities. Those are things that are important but not urgent. The planning, the strategizing, it's kind of like what you talked about in your, in your 2002 Olympics. You had a plan. You thought ahead. What are we going to be doing? And I'm sure there were emergencies that came up that you responded to. You can never eliminate those. But when you have that time to spend on on effective strategic thinking and planning. It reduces some of the time you spend in that urgent and important quadrant. And you can begin to shift into time where you're thinking and you're planning. So that's, that's, that's one thing that you can do. Another recommendation is, is do an evaluation. I have a form here that those of you who are uh, online could see. It's a professional assessment. You can have a personal assessment. You take these questions, and then you evaluate how you're doing in, in certain areas of, of your life and, and, and in your performance in your career. And you can find opportunities, and you can evaluate where you find that you are having the biggest challenge. Now, we don't want to work on everything at once because that will add more burnout. But if we can just get a little bit better in how we use our time, and we can be more productive with the time that we have, then my hope is, is that we'll have less time, less presenteeism, right? Less being there just for the sake of being there and then being frustrated that we have to be there. You know, get your work done and get the heck out of there. Let go of control and delegate to others so that they can grow and develop and, and feel, right? And, and, it, and there's more that we could talk about, but we're running out of time, but helping people to find greater purpose in their work. And there's a process that you can do, Christian, to really get connected to the roles that you're doing and living the best life. But let me just let me just leave with one more suggestion. Plan your week. Plan the things that are most important on your calendar first. On my calendar, every day I have time blocked for exercise. Every morning. I do not take appointments until after nine o'clock. You can't make an appointment with me unless I choose to. I then block time for, uh, for planning or for things that I need to do. I have times of the day where I know that I'm more productive, where I need more of my thinking power. I assign those, those tasks to that time of the day. And for the time of the day that doesn't require a lot of thinking, well, that's a great time to respond to emails. Yes, I will look at my emails. If there's, an, if there's something emergency, I'll respond to that. But then I'll just answer the rest of them or delete them at another time. You don't have to look at them every five seconds. And I find I have to fight the urge to, to look at my emails and to stay focused on something more productive. I don't know if that happens to you. Uh, it definitely happens to me. And part of it is just a little bit 
Uh, obsessive compulsive. I really don't like having things outstanding in my inbox. I don't like having things with notifications saying that I haven't looked at this or that or the other on my phone. I'm always trying to clean it off. I always want it to be pristine. And, uh, uh, and that does cause me uh, a huge amount of stress because I'm always feeling like I have to keep up, you know, well, because so the we would talk about, we just keep coming in, right? They right. don't well, stop. We would talk they about how just... to manage that and why that's happening so that you can actually, because what, what's happening is you and I are controlled by our email. We are yes. basically controlled by the tyranny of other people's expectations, their phone calls, their emails, their requests on our time. And because we have no control of that, that is a huge source of burnout and, and anxiety. But when you start to take a little more control over your life, that's when your satisfaction starts to rise. That's when you feel more empowered. That's when the burnout begins to subside and we start to think more clearly. Those are some of the, my ideas. Any, I don't know, anything else? I, I haven't seen any. I've seen a couple thumbs up, but no, uh, no, no comments from our listeners. Hopefully that well, means... Well, we, the one thing that I would just like to say... Uh, uh, coming back to the good old sports analogy, you brought up the the idea that, listen, you don't have to do everything at once. You don't have to fix all the problems at once. Just, just start with one thing. Just start with one thing. And that reminded me, uh, you know, again, coming back to our NBA team here, the Utah Jazz, uh, one of the best players, if not the best player to ever put on the uniform for the Jazz is Karl Malone. And Karl Malone, you know, uh, at the beginning, very uh, physical presence, horrific free throw shooter, right? Like he was terrible. But what he would do is he would make goals every year that he was going to get a little bit better in something. And early on, it was free throws. You know, then it was a jump shot. And then it was a turnaround jumper, you know. And, and over time, you know, in the summers, he would work on one of these skills. And he would practice that and practice it. And he, by the time the season started, he'd be pretty good at that thing. That used to be a weakness. And then over the course of his career, he became, uh, you know, one of the, well, he was like the second uh, all-time, second or third all-time leading scorer in the NBA. Uh, but it's just because he continually worked on, you know, one thing at a time to help him get better. Uh, it's like that book, Atomic Habits, right? We just work on, you, you, we find this little thing and we make an incremental improvement in this area. Then we move on to the next one. That's right. So, you know, one of the reasons that we have burnout is we feel like we have to do everything all the time. We don't. We don't have to be the perfect person tomorrow. Uh, we can just do something tomorrow that's just a little bit better than we did today. And over time, uh, the, the returns on that will compound. So, yes, let's give our brains time to heal. If our amygdala is swollen, <laughs> let's do the things that you've talked about. Whether it's meditation, getting outside, going for a mountain bike ride, uh, whatever it is, give that brain a little bit of time to heal, and then uh, let's not repeat the same mistakes and re-injure it. You know, uh, let's let's try a different course. Let's let's be a little bit more moderate and purposeful, just as you've recommended. And set one more thing: set boundaries. Realize you you can't work on everything. If every if everything is a priority, nothing is a priority. I remember. Uh, you know, Stephen Covey asked one of his top executives, hey, could you do this for me? Because a lot of times we'll get a job from somebody think we have to do it because the CEO asked me. Don't take that burden on all your, by yourself. And so what this executive did brought him, you know, brought Stephen to his, his 
Kanban chart or his priorities. He's, here are all my priorities, Stephen, that I'm working on. Which of these do you want me to, to drop as a priority while I work on your new priority? And, and, and so that is bringing others into helping you to prioritize some of those things and, and helping other people. Sometimes it's, you're just not communicating what everything that is on your plate. You're not sharing them. You're holding on to too much. That's a, that's a team concept where we let people know what we're doing and where we need help and ask for it when you need it. And that's a, that, that also takes a, a, a cultural change or a mindset change. And uh, also recognizing when you're putting yourself down and you're having negative talk and, you're, and you would never say some of the things that you say to yourself to a friend. So stop saying them to yourself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, Spencer. Holy cow. Uh, you know, 50 plus minutes have flown by. Uh, it's just been like that. But if people want to learn more about how you can help them to avoid burnout, or to relieve burnout, either individually or their organization. You know, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? You know, reach out to me on on LinkedIn, uh, Spencer Horn on LinkedIn, or email me at, at spencer at altiumleadership.com. and that's a l t i u m leadership.com. and I'll I'll be happy to share with you a uh, you know personal evaluation sheet or a professional evaluation sheet we can kind of take a look at where you feel like you're struggling the most in in managing your your burnout and and your career and your personal life and you know if you find one or two things that are are the biggest causes of stress then that can add some instant relief and and uh, I'd be happy to help uh help you do that. And Christian, uh, I know that you have so much to offer organizations. You think so strategically and, and effectively. How can people find out to reach you? Uh, LinkedIn as well. Christian Napier. Just look up Christian Napier at LinkedIn. And uh, also, uh, you can contact me through email, Christian at Raconto.io. It's Christian at R-A-K-O-N-T-O dot I-O. Well, Spencer, uh, another wonderful, uh, fascinating educational week for me. I really appreciate the conversation. Listeners, please join us again soon. Like and subscribe to our podcast, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks so much.